Well, Merry Christmas. I'm, I'm Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and, and tonight I get to share this amazing, familiar story, which is a great honor, but also is a great challenge because I, like many of the pastors, in fact, all of the pastors in the Sock Valley right now are having the same challenge. We're having the same challenge as people all around the state of Illinois, all around our nation, all around our globe. We have to share a story that you know by heart in a way that will capture your heart, your mind, maybe your imagination, and hopefully even your soul, which is challenging, right? Because you know the story. In fact, you probably know the story better than me, and so I want to take a little different approach tonight. I want to invite you into the what if. Now, you might be thinking, well, what is that? What, what is the what if, right? What are we stepping into? I don't know if I want to commit until I know what we're talking about. Well, this is what the what if. The what if is that space in your life when you wonder, if I would have taken this direction versus that direction, how would have my life turned out? You see, sometimes we think about this when our life isn't going well, and we think, well, if I would have made that choice instead, maybe I would have ended up here in a better place. Or maybe you're not even in a bad place or that bad a place. You're just curious. You're reflecting on your life, and you're thinking, well, if I would have done that versus this, I would have ended up here or maybe there. I'm not really sure. And when we get in that space, we ask all sorts of questions. We think things like this. What if I would have asked her out? Or what if I never would have asked her out? What if I walked down the aisle with him or her instead of maybe the person I'm with? Right, we have all sorts of what-if questions. What if I would have taken that job, or what if I would have quit that job to take that job? What if I lived there? What if I moved there? What would my life be like? What if I tried out for that team, or what if I didn't waste my time trying out for that team? We have all these what-ifs. And the challenge of the what-ifs is we don't know. That's why they're what-ifs, right? If we make that choice, we don't know if it would be better. We don't know if it'd be worse. We didn't know if our life would be significantly wonderful because of that one choice along our journey. Or we don't know if we would have made that one slight adjustment if our life would be much more challenging than it already is. So I want you to think in that space tonight. I want you to think about the what if as we approach this very familiar story, this very familiar piece of history. What if the story was just slightly different what if Mary and Joseph's journey was not quite like it's been told to us? What if Mary and Joseph weren't just engaged, but what if they were happily married when the angel came and said, Mary, you're going to have a child? And when the angel came, Mary and Joseph were there, and it was great news because they were married and they were happy, and what a blessing this would be. And when she told their family, they weren't upset, they weren't confused, they were just happy, right? There's a grandchild on the way. And Joseph went to his family, and they were equally as excited. What if that was the story? What if when Jesus was born, Rome wasn't ruling over the whole known world and subjugating the people? What if the Jewish people were free? Free to go where they wanted to go and stay where they wanted to stay? Instead of having to travel that 90-mile journey as a pregnant woman to Bethlehem, what if she just stayed in Nazareth in the comfortable place of her home that Mary and Joseph had built together? What if that was the story? And what if instead of laying Jesus down in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, what if she laid Jesus down in, in a beautiful, crafted 
crib made by her husband, Joseph, who was a carpenter. A person who would have spent the time to pick the right wood and the right design and make it just so perfect so that he could celebrate laying his child down in that crib every night. What if that was the story instead? And what if instead of the shepherds visiting, the angels went to the temple or they went to the religious leaders or they went to the rich people or the celebrities of the day saying the Messiah is here? What if that was the case? What if Mary and Joseph were inundated with the rich and the wealthy and influential? Their life would be completely different. They'd be elevated to celebrity status instantly, right? They are the parents of the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Jesus would have been put on the throne probably at a very early age. Everything would have been completely different. In fact, the story would have been beautiful and wonderful. And if I write the story, if I wrote the story of a king, this is how I would write the story. But it wouldn't be the truth. Because that's not the story we read. You see, the story of this shepherd king is messy and sometimes just downright ugly. This is how Luke records this piece of history. He starts this way. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So right away, we see this isn't a beautiful, wonderful story because we see right away that Rome was in charge. And Rome wasn't just in charge. They were in charge of everyone and they were oppressive. They told you where to go and what to do and you did not turn on them, which is why Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem. There was no option out button, right? There was no Joseph saying, hey, nine months pregnant, right? We can't do this. There was no people saying, I'm too old or I'm too slow or I don't have the resources. It was too bad. If Rome said it, you did it. In fact, this is why they were having this conversation because Rome was in charge and Rome was doing a census so they could tax the people. And here's what shows you something about Rome and their oppression on the people and how messy this was. You see, when Rome taxed the people, they didn't tax all of the people. You see, if you were a Roman citizen, you were exempt. They would just tax the people they had subjugated. Imagine the amount of authority that you have to have, the amount of military strength to keep all those people paying the bills and having them not turn on you, and no one even questions your authority. This is a messy moment in history that Christ is born into. And it only gets worse. This is what Luke says next. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. Because Rome was in charge, it made Mary and Joseph's life very messy. There was no option. They couldn't avoid it. They had to go to Bethlehem. Now just imagine this nine months pregnant, all hormonal, right? All things that happen when you're pregnant at the late stages, you're uncomfortable, it's awkward. You're just ready for this story to be done and the baby to be there, and you get the news that, hey, you gotta travel 90 miles. You're either gonna walk it, you're gonna ride it on a donkey. There's no getting into a, a nice Cadillac or something, right? A nice smooth ride. It's bumpy ground, it's an animal, it's, it's just awful. Now, 
husbands, I don't know if you've been through this, if your wife has had a child or, or been, been pregnant, but you can kind of play this scenario out in your mind how this might go. Let's just imagine, right, you're Joseph. Your, your wife is nine months pregnant. You're making this trip, and, and she's kind of just leaning into you a little bit. Joseph, why is your family from, from Bethlehem? If they're from Nazareth, Joseph, we wouldn't have to go anywhere. Joseph, why didn't you stand up and, and tell them and explain the situation? I'm, I'm nine months pregnant. If you would just man up and take care of this, we wouldn't have to travel. Maybe she's saying, I'm hungry. I'm tired. My feet hurt. And Joseph, we need to find a gas station now because I need to go to the bathroom. Maybe you heard some of these things in your journey. Now, I'm sure Mary was a gem and probably didn't do any of that stuff that maybe some of us have heard along the way. But what I'm saying is it was messy for Mary and it was messy for Joseph. The whole story is just built in this ongoing mess. In fact, it keeps going. This is what Luke says next. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. Once again, Mary was caught up in something that was bigger than her, but it made her life very challenging. The angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. And she says, how is that possible? I've never been with a man. And he says, well, it's going to be a miracle. And she says, it doesn't sound like a miracle to me. Now she has to tell her fiance, what's he thinking? Of course, he's thinking what we would be thinking, right? It's not mine. It's time to kick you to the curb. Luckily, God intervenes and an angel speaks to him. But still, it's messy and complicated and confusing. And everyone's looking at them kind of cross-eyed. Like, who are you living this way and the choices you made? Like, we can all see this, Mary. How would her family react? Well, I'd assume they're probably a little bit ashamed. We don't talk about it, right? Maybe we're going to avoid her. And Joseph would be the same, right? They're ashamed of him because even if they don't think it's his, well, then what kind of man is this? That he would just stick with a woman who wasn't faithful, in fact, I think this is why when we read the story and they go to Bethlehem, and even though all of Joseph's family should be there because the Roman government forced them all to be there, right? This is their origin story. This is the place where they go, that we see the story of Mary and Joseph without any family members mentioned. They don't go to Bethlehem and they don't wander in and stay with a family member in their house or their apartment. Or the family members who are in the hotel, they don't get welcomed in. And I believe this is because the whole family was just kind of keeping their distance. This family dynamic was messy and complicated and hurtful. So why would God do this? Why would God bring his son into this mess, this complication? Well, one of the reasons I believe that he did it is because he wanted us to know that this story isn't just a story. This is real. This really happened. In fact, as we travel back to the Old Testament, there's these things called prophecies. They're predictions, hundreds and some of them thousands of years old, pointing to the Messiah, pointing to the validity that Jesus is who he said he was. Right away in Isaiah 7, we see that Jesus would be born of a virgin. An unbelievable prediction fulfilled in Mary. A messy prediction, a complicated prediction. In Isaiah 9, we're told the Messiah would come as a baby, not a grown man from heaven, but, but a baby. And babies, well, they're messy, right? They can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. 
Their communication style is not always that fun. Right? It's messy and complicated. As we move into the book of Micah, we see that there's a prediction that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which God needed Rome to intervene. Because without Rome, Jesus would have been born in Nazareth, and, and therefore the prediction would have not come true, but God even uses that, the messiness of that, to fulfill his mission and to prove that Jesus is who he said he is. Eight times in the Old Testament, we are told that Jesus would come through the line of David, which is why the family was in Bethlehem. This is where the shepherd king was from. This is where David, who started out in the fields and then rose to the throne, this is, was his home. This is where he, 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 he lived. This is why they were there, because Jesus came through that same line. All these very precise and specific predictions are fulfilled in this messy story. Well, Luke moves on. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, this should come as no surprise just at this point in time, but what? More mess. The innkeeper says, no, they get rejected. What's left? Well, there's a stable out back. Who would say yes to that? Apparently, people who are very desperate and who are about to give birth. And so they go into this place of mess, a place reserved for animals to feed and live, and that is messy. But in the midst of this story, this very familiar story, we see something powerful about God. We see a God that loves you and that loves me so much that he's willing to get dirty. He doesn't just sit on a throne and say, look at the scum down there. Look at those bad people down there. He gets dirty. Jesus wrapped himself in human flesh to be born into this mess. And to prove it one step further, born into a stable, this messy place that God would go for you. In fact, he takes it one step further. This is how Luke says it. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. Here's one more very complicated, messy part of the story that sometimes we don't realize. You see, these shepherds are not the refined farmers of the Sock Valley that we think of. These are outcasts. These are people who are unclean. You, you don't strive to get the job of shepherd. You get stuck with the job of shepherd. In fact, it was so bad that if you walked into town, people treated you like you were outcasts. You were less than. You were nothing. You were unclean. But look what God does here. Look what this tells us about our God. He invites in the shepherds. He doesn't go to the temple and talk to all the people who are doing it right. He doesn't talk to religious leaders. He doesn't talk to the celebrities or the rich people. He invites in 
the messy ones, the people that no one wanted to associate with. He invites them to see his son before anyone else sees the son. And this is good news. Because if, if you've ever felt a little bit too messy, in fact, maybe tonight this is your first time being in church for a long time, or maybe you're watching online because you're thinking, you know what? If, if I walked in that building, I'd, I'd probably get struck dead if you knew my story because God knows my story. I'm just a little bit uncomfortable in church. But look what God does. He invites the shepherds in. He doesn't say, go take a shower, go get cleaned up, go do this and that, go sacrifice an animal, right? Go confess your sins and then come on in. No, he just invites them right to the bedside of the most precious gift the world has ever seen in Jesus Christ. This is God. He invites the messy in. Because when you're around Jesus, you don't stay messy for long and this is what he wants in your life, to invite you in, to get you up close and personal, and to give you a better way, a better life, and a better eternity. So if you fit that category, I want you to hold on to that truth tonight. Now, if you fit a different category, and I think I fit this category probably, the people who have been around church for a long time. We've been following Jesus for a long time. In fact, maybe we've gotten pretty good at it, right? For the most part, people look at us like, hey, they're they look good, they kind of smell good, right? They seem like they got their act together a little bit. Now, that's probably just because they don't know all the stuff that happens inside. But we kind of have this nice veneer about us. But sometimes when that happens, when we get into our church buildings or we get into our church groups, we get a little bit uncomfortable about messiness, right? When our churches aren't quite as clean as we'd like, it's like, oh, I don't really like that. Or the people who come in, maybe they're a little bit messier than we'd like kind of makes us get a little bit uncomfortable. If that's us, I think God has a really big challenge to us because what does God do? He says, come on in. Come on in, make it messy. You're going to track mud through the stable like it wasn't already dirty. You're going to track mud through the church. That's great. I just want you to come meet Jesus. I want you to come be a part of God's family. Come on in. I know you're going to have some issues, but that's okay. God's going to sort those out over the course of our life. We're going to do this journey together. You see, if we hold people away, if we think people aren't good enough to be in our community, in our space, in our place, then we're not doing what God does. Because God invites in the mess. Because God loves messy people. Here's how the story comes to a close. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. So finally, after all this messiness and all this storyline that she's thinking, can it get any worse? She gets this moment to just take it all in. And she thinks through everything that's happened from the announcement of the birth to her. She's a little bit concerned about that, confused about that. The conversation with Joseph, which she knew wasn't going to go well, the conversation with her extended family that she saw didn't go well. Having to go to Bethlehem in late-term pregnancy and dealing with all that discomfort and all the turmoil that caused. Going to an inn, desperate for a place to stay, only to say, no, we don't have room, but you can go into the dirty stable. Finally giving birth to your precious boy and hoping that maybe a family member will show up Instead, the outcasts of society are next to your brand new precious baby. 
the stinky and the smelly and the unrefined. And she's thinking through all this, probably thinking through the what ifs. What if we would have done this differently? What if I would have done that differently? Maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. And ultimately, she probably asked the question, why? Why was it like this? See, that's a pretty significant question. Because when you think about the birth of a king, the story doesn't make sense because the birth of a king, well, that's to be celebrated. It's supposed to be perfect, right? Put, put the gown on him, put him on the throne and celebrate with the, the higher-ups, the richy people of the world, the celebrities, the important people. That's what a birth of a king is supposed to be like, which is exactly the point. This wasn't any ordinary king that'd be entered into the world with the blowing of trumpets. This was a shepherd king, a king who was going to get his hands dirty, to get into the mess and grime of life, the reality of this life, and not just get muddy, but invite people in to his throne room, into a relationship with him and say, I know you're messy. I know people don't want to talk to you. I know that you don't feel worthy, but come on in. We'll sort out all of that out. Come on in. And then this baby boy would grow up in a messy world. And he would give the sacrifice and experience the most messy death that the world has ever invented. He'd be pinned to a cross for us. This is our shepherd king. A shepherd king who calls us to himself, forgives us of our sin, washes us clean, guides us exactly where we need to go to lead us all the way to his kingdom. Let's pray.